welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Well, good that you're here today. I'm, I'm Brian Harris, Service Pastor Large here at Cary. And we come to the end today of our series on matters of the heart, where we've been looking at our time and our treasure and, and how we use them. And we have recognized very quickly that uh, to really have freedom in life, you, you need three things, don't you? To be able to do what it is that you want to do, you, you have to have your health, and we haven't been speaking about that in this series. Uh, but you also have to have the time to do it, and you have to have the wealth and the money to do it. Sometimes people are very wealthy, but they don't have time. Sometimes have people have time, but things cost money, and uh, they have all the time in the world. They just can't afford to do what it is that they're wanting to, wanting to do. And so we have recognized that it really is a matter of the heart when we get to the place where we say that actually we take some of these things which we have, we take our time and we take our wealth and we actually say, God, they're yours. Because it means that in one way or another, we are limiting our own personal freedom to just do whatever it is that we want to do ourselves. And today I'm wanting us to shift. We've been speaking primarily about money up until this point, but uh, as with the interview with Bo, uh, today we're wanting to focus a little bit more on how we use our time. And I'd like to start by telling you about George. George was a man I met when I was living in Port Elizabeth many years ago. I was a chaplain to university students, and uh, the local church which we went to, George was very much the leader. Uh, the pastor was there. He was the teacher, and, and, and he taught very well from, from, from the scriptures. But in terms of leading the congregation, George really was the person. He, he wasn't employed by the church. He, he was an elder, but he, he was voluntary. And he had been there at the start of the church. He had helped to, helped to found it. Uh, he had seen it through different seasons. He had uh, seen it through a huge building project. He was there when it started a, a retirement village. Uh, he, he just was the person who gave energy and life to the place. He was an extraordinary leader. And yet, in his workaday world, he was extraordinarily modest. Uh, he, had a, he had an eight to four job, uh, Monday to Friday, uh, had a fairly lowly position in the place in which he was working. And clearly didn't earn terribly much money. And his home was very modest, and you could see that he didn't earn very much money. And, and I must admit, it was a, a bit of a puzzle to me, because you, you saw this kind of mystery. This, the, this guy who clearly was so extraordinarily capable, and yet in the, his kind of professional life, he had frankly come to nothing at all, and really wasn't amounting to much. And, and, and I wondered, and it perplexed me, and uh, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing to say to someone, you, you, you know, you're, you're very capable, but you're a big flop in the workforce, why? Um, I mean, you can't just go up to someone and, and say that, can you? So, so I tried to ask as diplomatically as I can one day, I said, George, you know, I, I can't remember how I put it, I thought it was diplomatic, maybe it wasn't, I, I don't know. But I remember him saying to me, I've always remembered his answer. He said, oh, I've, I've been offered promotion just so many, 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 many times before. And I've always said no. And I've said no because I know that God has called me to this place, to, to, to this church. And I know that I've got to have lots of time free for what God's calling me to. And so I just love my work. I, don't, it's, I can do it being brain dead. I don't have to even think about it. It's just so straightforward. It's so simple. Uh, it takes from eight to four every single day, and I come back, and I still have energy to do the things that, that really matter to me, and I have been able to just pour myself into this place. And every single time promotion has been offered to me, I've said no, because I've known that if I say yes, uh, yeah, I will get more money, 
but it's going to be like my, my mental energy is going to be going there and I'll have to work extra hours and I have to pour myself into the job more and more. And every single bit of that will take away from this place. Yeah, and this is the place that God has called me to. And I've been called to be a bit of a tent maker, just like Paul was, uh, you know, where Paul would make tents from time to time to fund his ministry. So that's what I do when I'm in my, my work. I'm just doing doing a fairly simple job. It gets us enough money, and that's all that, that, that we actually need. And I can do what I know God has really called me to, to, to build this place here. And, and I was really impressed by that, really impressed by that. And at that time, this was the early 1980s, it, it wasn't really that unusual for people to have made decisions like George made. Uh, there were actually lots of, lots of them. You, you, you would go to most local churches, and you'd find that there was a George in one form or another there. Someone who just gave dozens and dozens of hours to the church every single week and who helped to make sure that it could really function and operate well. And churches really were dependent on people like George to be able to succeed. I, I can remember uh, in my early years as a pastor back in the 1980s, going along to a church growth seminar. And as a young pastor, you, you want to find these keys to unlock church growth. And uh, I can remember the, the speaker uh, speaking and saying, you, you know, as if, you, if you want a church that grows, it's really important to staff up and to employ more pastoral staff. And back in those days, he said that the key to success was you looked at how many people were your regulars in church. And for every 150 people, he said, you, you needed to employ one pastor. And oh, the good old 80s, uh, 150 people, for every 150 people a pastor, I, I mean, that seemed outrageous to us in those days. I had, in the church my teenage years, we had about 300 people who were regulars, and we had one pastor, and that one pastor seemed to manage just fine. Thank you very much. But, you know, today, if you were to go to that same seminar, they would say to you, for every 50 people who go to your church, you need a full-time pastor. And if trends continue, they will be saying, actually for every 40 or maybe at some point for every 30 people who attend your church, you need a full-time pastor. And you say, why? Are congregations today really that much more difficult <laughs> that they need so many more pastoral staff? Is, is that, that, that really the case? You know, that in one era, it could be one for 300, and then it comes to one for every 150, and then now it's one for every 50. You, you know, what's going on? And, and actually, the answer is very simple that, you know, back in the 80s, you just had heaps of people like George who would pour their time into the church and who would make sure that all her ministries ran. And in an era where we consider ourselves to be extraordinarily time poor, the, I've got to say, you, 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 you do have to just pinch yourself a little bit when you say you're time poor. Because, I mean, who are we kidding? It, it really was just yesterday where we actually used to wash our own dishes it really was just yesterday when we washed our own clothes. It really was just yesterday when we prepared meals from scratch. It really was just yesterday when annual leave was two weeks a year, and then it pushed us all swap to three weeks a year, not four weeks a year. I mean, all these things are just yesterday, but somehow we have so much less time today, so much less time. But because people experience themselves as having so much less time, that when the church looks at running its ministry, be it youth ministry, children's ministry, whatever, in the end, you're just forced to staff up, staff up, because you can't actually get volunteers and you can't get people to fulfill different ministries. And so you find that you're employing people where in the past people like George and other people would have said, yep, this is me, this is what God's called me to. I, I will carve out some time to actually do this. 
And so today I'm wanting us to speak in this very challenging area of so how are we using our time and are we using it in the way in which we really should use it? I can remember when I was principal of Rosebank Bible College, a man came to me one day and it was one of these wonderful events. He handed me a check for, for, for the college. It was a very substantial check. Uh, in today's terms, I mean, it's always difficult to translate what, what the amount of money would be, but, but perhaps the easiest way is to say that it was enough money to very easily cover a full-time staff member's salary for an entire year. And you don't get checks like that just every second day. So I was delighted, naturally. And I, I can remember him saying to me, Brian, when someone gives you a check like, like this, you can know one of two things. Either this person is completely insane or God is at work. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not insane. Be encouraged. God is working. Working in me, working through the college. And, and I've remembered that conversation as well because it's true. Uh, you, you, you know, the preaching team here, we can come and we can jump up and down. We can say, give more, give more money, give more time, give more whatever. We, we, we can try and manipulate in one way or another. But the reality is that it is only when God is at work that people look at their time and their treasure and say, actually, Lord, everything that I have comes from you. Lord, I, I want to live a life that actually matters. I want to live a life that counts. And I voluntarily start to offer these things back to you. That only happens when God really is deeply at work in the lives of people. And so if you're sitting here and if you sat here through this series feeling almost resentful, they will not get one more dollar out of me, thank you very much. They will not get one more hour out of me, thank you very much. Uh, you know, if you sat here like that, fine, God will deal with you in due course. <laughs> and, and let God just work in your heart and soften your heart and get you to the place of actually saying, actually, everything that I have comes from God. Hey, let's look at some of the scriptures. There, there are three passages that I want us to look at today that, in one way or another, uh, highlight something about our attitude to time. The first is this wonderful passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's just the foundational passage when you think about time. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything. There is a time for everything. Have you ever said, oh Lord, if only you had given me a 25-hour day? God disagrees. He disagrees with the sentiment. He says that actually there's a time for everything in your life. There's a time for everything in the season, for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. And then the second passage I want us to look at is, is a passage of calling. It comes from Matthew chapter 4, uh, from verse 18, the calling of the disciples of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then this fascinating little verse here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, fascinating little verse. 
not as much reach you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, which is fascinating, but nothing to do with this message. So let me find Ephesians 4, 28. Uh, Those who have been stealing must steal no longer. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer. Good, good instructions, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need that they might have something to share with those in need. Well, let's then look at them. I'm wanting us to, as, as we go through them, to, to, to kind of look at three principles, one, one which comes from each of these passages. And the first principle then is, is you know, to ask ourselves these three questions. Question, question number one, I come from Ecclesiastes chapter three, what time and season in life am I in? What time and season in life am I in? And, and I think it's intentional that the writer of Ecclesiastes bookends what, 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 what he's writing. And he bookends it very soberly. There's, there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to uproot. So, so there, there, there are times of beginnings, but always remember, even in your times of beginnings, there are always going to be times to end. And, and you will not have infinite time. And you need to think through, so, so what's the season that I'm in right now, and what is it that I should be doing right now? And, and I think the principle is, is to say that, that we should actually be asking ourselves, so, so what's it in this now season of my life that I should be doing that, that maybe I won't be able to do in another period of my life? Let, let, let me give you an example. I mean, you might find it difficult to believe, but, but there was a time when I was actually a very popular speaker at youth events, and I got called to speak at youth camps and youth conferences and all over the place. Uh, and I used to really enjoy doing that, and apparently other people enjoyed my doing it as well because I got asked quite often. Uh, somewhere around about when I was 40, I can remember thinking one day, you know, it's been a long time since they've asked me to speak at a youth event. Um, I wonder why. And I thought, well, okay, well, I suppose I look a little older. I'm still very young in my spirit, but maybe I look a little older. Uh, you know, maybe I become a little bit too serious. I don't know. You, you, you know and, and suddenly, to me, you, you know, there is actually a time. There, there are different seasons in life. Actually, rather disturbingly, last year I was asked to speak at a rest home. <laughs> you know what you're, I don't know what you're saying, God, but anyway. But, I mean, there, there are some people who call to work amongst youth, and they, 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 you know, that's their lifelong calling, and, and the age thing doesn't seem to apply for them, for, by and large. But, but actually, for most of us, I mean, there's a time that you can work amongst young people, and, and usually it's like for 10, 15 years until you get, get outside of that zone, and then it just becomes this mystery to you, and you, and you can't do it anymore. And you realize that there is actually, there is a time, there's a season, there's a start point, there's a stop point. There is a time when you're a parent of young children. I, mean, I can remember when our children were young. And again, it seems like just yesterday, just, just yesterday. And, and I can remember that time almost thinking, oh, you know, little children are lovely. They're, 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 they're just absolutely wonderful. But, but the conveyor belt never seems to stop, does it? And, and you just think, if only I could just step off this for a while, because it just seems relentless. Uh, you know, one set of puke after another after another, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and then suddenly the day comes where you think, oh, no, that's over, and we've done that, and we've been there, and life has moved on. And, and you realize, well, all those things that I had to do in that season in life, if I didn't do them, there's no going back now. There's no going back now. 
And I think that wisdom begins when we actually say to ourselves, so what is the season of life that I'm in right now? What can I do right now that, that I won't actually be able to do it another time? And am I doing that? And, and there are times when you realize I'm, I'm young and I'm strong and I can do heaps of things. Go for it. Do it. Uh, seasons do not last forever. Uh, you know that I'm principal at Vose Seminary, and we have many younger students who, who come in, and they, they're just getting going and, and ministry for themselves. And quite often they, they, they get different opportunities, and they say to me, Brian, what should I say yes to? And, and I almost always say to them, well, don't tie yourself down to anything for too long. But beyond that, just say yes to everything. Because this is the season in your life where you need to have a go. You actually find out what you can do. Test yourself. Sense where God is calling you to. Just say yes and go for it. But there will come another season in your life where you start to be much more discriminating. Where you say, actually, no, I know who I am. I know what my voice is. I know what I do well and I know what I don't do so well. I know that there's some things that I must say no to. That, that, that I might more intentionally be fruitful in other things. There is a time and a season for everything. There is a time where you're planting there's even a time when you uproot and when you step back and ask yourself, so, so what is it in this season that I must be doing right now? And identify that and identify that quite clearly. It was the Quaker minister, Stephen Grillet, who about 200 years ago wrote these lovely words. I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness I can show to any fellow human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Let me not defer nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. And I think that in each season we need to have this kind of, just the soberness, I will not actually pass through this season again. And so I must actually do the things that I can do at this time in my life. If, if I'm in my 30s, I will not be in my 30s again. And if I'm in my 50s, I will not be in my 50s again. And, and, and so it goes on, life, life moves on. And there are things that God calls us to do in different stages in life. And be absolutely clear about this. It does not matter what stage in life you're in. God wants to use you. And God wants you to give your time back to him and say, Lord, make my life fruitful. But the kinds of things that God calls you to are different at different times. And look at it and say, so God, what's it now that I must be doing? Because my time is yours. And there is ultimately in life a time and a season for everything. A time and a season for everything. That's the first question. So what season in life am I in now? Question number two. Can I leave my nets and follow him? Can I leave my nets and follow Jesus? And let's look at the passage again, uh, as, we, as we saw it in the wrong passage here yet again, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 talks about the call of those, those first disciples. And uh, as they called, Jesus sees them and they're about their workaday world. Matthew 4.18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I mean, just, just put yourself there. This, this is the ancient world. No one had heaps and heaps of super in the bank. In fact, there was zero social security. And, and you've, you're kind of a fisherman, and that's what you do. And you're aware that there's this 
budding preacher who's around and he's walking around and you, you wonder what he's on about. And, and, and one day he comes and he says to come, follow me. Just, just leave your nets, leave them and come and follow me. And, and I'm sorry, that's like really a big ask if you're in the ancient world. I mean, just leave your nets behind, leave your boats behind, leave your family behind, leave everything behind, come follow me. I mean, you've got to ask the so what's going to happen to me question. Uh, in the ancient world, no, as I say, people didn't have heaps and heaps of security. If you were a fisherman, well, if you didn't fish for very long, you didn't eat after a little while, and it really didn't take much time to get from the no fishing to the no eating stage. Uh, you just had to have great faith and trust. And, and there was something about Jesus and something about his own being that, 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 that when he called people to follow him, they, they trusted that it would be okay. And they found within themselves a freedom to let go of what it was that they were holding on to and, and to follow Jesus. And I guess the question that I'm wanting to ask us today is just this question. So, so question number one, what, what season in life are you in? What season of life are you in? Question number two, can you actually leave your nets and follow? Or put differently, what would it take for you to leave your nets and follow? Now, now don't misunderstand me. I, I think that God has put most of us already in the place that we're supposed to be. Most of us are already serving where we're supposed to be. But here's the thing. All of us should be in that place that if God were to say to us, now, now come, leave that behind. Now you come in this new direction and you follow me. All of us should be in that place where we could say, yep, Jesus, if that's what you're calling me to, that's exactly what I do. And, and some of us, I think, find when we, when we put in positions like that, that, that actually what we're doing has become a chain that just wraps us around and wraps us up so tightly that if we're honest with ourselves, we know that nowhere in this wild world would we ever say yes. We're just saying, no, I'm locked in where I am. Thank you very much, and I'm not free to go. And that's not a good place to be because actually always what we must do must be with, with open hands. That if God wants to move us to something else, we can say, Lord, if it's your will, it's your will. I mean, think of encounters in the Bible, some of the significant ones. Uh, do you remember that day Isaiah he goes to the temple? So far as he's concerned, it's just another day, but he does have this question in the back of his mind. King Uzziah has died, and he's wondering what there is for the nation that lies ahead. And with this perplexing question, he goes into the temple, and in the temple, we're told in Isaiah 6, that he just senses the presence of God. And, and, and he, he, he's overcome by it. And as he's overcome by the goodness and the glory of God. He hears a voice, the voice of God coming to him and saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And he finds with himself that something just wells up. And there's a voice inside of him that says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. So many of us are so tired to what we're doing that if we were to have that experience and we were here to hear God saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? We'd say, well, anyone but me. Thank you, Lord. I'm very committed where I am. and I'm very tired and I'm sorry. I'm simply not available. You try in another six months. Perhaps it will be more convenient then. And I guess this passage is saying, no. Jesus could come along at any time. 
and say, you're in for the ride of your life. <laughs> You'd never believe it, but you must come and follow me. And those early disciples, as they set off to follow Jesus, they had no idea what lay ahead for them. But it was a journey in which God was totally in control. Or take Gideon. Judges chapter 6 tells us about, about, about that day when Gideon, he's just threshing wheat. And he's just going about his workaday world. And suddenly there's an angel. And the angel says to him, you are going to be the person through whom God brings release to the Israelites. And Gideon's like, yeah, right. Like, I'm, I'm just a nobody. This couldn't possibly be the case. But the angel's very persistent. And so Gideon puts out his famous fleece, and if you remember, it's a fleece where, where you know, something has to be wet when it should have been dry, and something has to be dry when it should have been wet, and then he repeats it over, and he, he needs just convincing by God that God really is in it. But in the end, Gideon, who starts off terrified and saying, this could never be, finds himself saying, yes, 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 God, I'll do it. Or, or take Esther. There she is, wondering what kind of a future she might have. She's part of the king's harem, but she has never been called by the king for quite a while. And her people, the Hebrew people, the the Jewish nation, finds itself in a terrible, precarious position. It looks as though they're about to be exterminated. And people look to her because she's she's a queen within the king's court. But she's a queen who's trapped because she's not allowed, in terms of the law, just to go to the king and to speak to him. And, and her people are saying to her, you must go, you must speak. But she knows that actually that could mean death for her. It could mean death for her. But she realizes that God is telling her to do it. And so she says her famous words, I will go into the presence of the king, and if I perish, I perish. I will go into the presence of the king, and if I perish, I perish. You know, God has called me to do this, and if it means that I die, well, then I die. And I guess that in this, can I leave my nets question, I'm saying, would would you ask yourself that question? Ask it because actually for most of us, God will come back and say, actually, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to see that you're called to be exactly where you are right now. That the place that Jesus wants you to serve him is in your workplace and in your neighborhood and in this church. And, And that's where I want you to be. But I'm so glad that you asked the question. Because if you ask the question with a willingness to actually say, if it's somewhere else, I'll go. Well, it could be that for some of us, God is saying, and actually, yes, it is go. Yes, it is do something different. For those early disciples, let's be absolutely accurate. Jesus comes to them one day. Andrew, Peter, uh, sons of Zebedee, comes to them and says, leave your nets, come follow me. Does that mean that they never went fishing again? No, that's not true. Because, in fact, the, the Gospels tell of many times that they went fishing. In fact, usually it tells us how unsuccessful they were as fish, fishermen. But at any rate, they do go fishing again and again and again. But what you realize changed on that day was that up until that point, they would have defined themselves as fishermen. That was what they did. That was the big thing about their lives. After that day, they f- defined themselves as followers of Jesus. And what changed was the foreground and the background. So, so until that day when Jesus calls them, the foreground, the thing that they see, the thing that they think about, the thing that takes all their energy, that's fishing, 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 getting enough fish to make sure you've got enough food that everyone gets fed. That's the big deal. 
But then the day comes that Jesus calls them and the foreground becomes Jesus and what Jesus is calling them to do and wanting to be obedient to Jesus and following Jesus' call wherever it is. That doesn't mean they never go fishing again, but fishing is very much like, well, this is what I do so that I can keep on following Jesus. I mean, that was George's story that I started with. You know, I remember what I'm here for. I'm here to live for Jesus. Now, now some of us serve Jesus most effectively in the workforce and that's a wonderful thing. Some of us serve Jesus most effectively by, by doing very little in the workforce, but by making sure that we're free enough to be able to pour buckets of time back into the local church and to some other ministry that God has called us to. But the key thing is this. When Jesus calls you, are you so locked in, so locked into what you're doing that you have to say, sorry, Lord, I'm really not free? Or can you just open your hands and say, whatever you're calling me to, Lord, whatever you're calling me to, these are penetrating questions, aren't they? What season of life are you in? What, season, what, is the, what is the right thing to be doing at this time in your life? For some of you, that could be giving heaps of time to your children. For some of you, that, 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 that could be giving heaps of time to grow in your career. For some of you, it could be saying, actually, I don't need to earn so much money anymore. Actually, I have quite enough money, thank you very much. Actually, I should be stepping back from this. What season? And can you, if Jesus calls you, can you leave your nets behind? Third thing, it's a little principle of, of living with surplus, living with surplus in our lives. And it's the Ephesians 4.28 one, this fascinating little verse here. Ephesians 4.28, where Paul looks and he's speaking to the early church and he says, you know, if you have been stealing, which reminds us that the early church had converts from all sectors of society, you know, anyone who's been stealing must stop stealing and must do something useful with their hands so that they might have something to share with those who are in need. That they might have something to share with those who are in need. And, and, and we must do something useful with our hands. Something useful so that we might have something to share. You, you see that little verse tells us, you know, when Paul thinks about work, he thinks about it in a very specific way. He thinks about it not in terms of what will I get from this work that I do? How will this help me? How will this help me to get the extra boat or the extra car or the extra holiday or the what, whatever? You know, what am I going to get from this? No, Paul says you do something useful with your hands because that brings surplus into your life. And from that surplus, you will have something to share with those who are in need. You know, it's about the motivation for why we do what we do. And so many of us bring surplus into our life and we keep it all for ourselves. And Paul is saying, no, the surplus in your life is for the benefit of others. Live your life in that kind of a way. And so the third question is, what surplus has been built into your life? What is it that you have to share? And the assumption is the passage is that actually if you're living as you should, there will be some surplus that's there and there will be something that you can actually give. And so we come to the end of this series, Matters of the Heart, and oh my, it is a matter of the heart, isn't it? We've said right at the start, it's your health you need, it's your time you need, it's your money you need to give you lots of freedom to do the things that you're wanting to do. And to give any of them away, well, you'd only do that if God is working deeply in your heart and in your life. And so it's a deeply spiritual matter. You know, what is it that God is doing? And perhaps it is no accident that we end this series in the start of, of Holy Week. In many churches around the world, 
Today will be celebrated as Palm Sunday, the day that we remember that Jesus entered so triumphantly into Jerusalem. Entered triumphantly, but oh, it turns so quickly. And we come so very quickly to Good Friday, and we come to the cross and all the suffering of the cross, and we remember that. We remember that. And we say, why? Why would I give my time? Why would I give my money? And the answer comes screaming back. We give it back because of Calvary. We give it back because we are forgiven. We give it back because we have a future. We give it back because we have a hope. We give it back because of the resurrection. We give it back because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. A little ditty that I was taught in my teenage years that I've always held on to is only one life. Only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your astonishing love for us. Your love demonstrated at Calvary. Thank you that you give us time. That you give us seasons. That you give us treasure. And you trust us with them. Sometimes, Lord, we hold on to them and they become horrible chains for us and we cannot possibly get free. But, Lord Jesus, we pray that touched by your love, we would be people who say, everything is yours. We live in the light of your love. So help us to recklessly give of our time, give of our treasure, that your name would be held high in the world. Amen.